Hey, everybody, join Macy's and Girls Inc. to empower a new generation of leaders now during Women's History Month. Throughout March, you can help fund STEM and college and career readiness programs for girls when you donate online to Girls Inc. or round up your purchase. Plus, shop women-owned and founded brands like Kaylee Cosmetics, New Face, and Better Not Younger. Learn more and celebrate the creative power of women now and all year round at Macy's.com slash purpose. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, yeah, sure, what's the catch? Well, uh, there isn't one. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plan's jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. The team here at Literally has tried Mint Mobile out, and this is the review. For a fraction of the cost, Mint Mobile proved to have excellent coverage with no drop calls or unsent texts. Plus, they make it super easy for me to activate my device just by following a few simple steps online. And bam, done. It was great. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan, for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash literally. That's mintmobile.com slash literally. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash literally. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hello. There he is. You want to talk about Malibu bicycle cops? Yes. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're missing... Who is it wouldn't want to watch you and I as Malibu bicycle cops? I could get you a list of who doesn't want to watch that, but <laughs> Today we have the great David DeCubney. Did I just say DeCubney? We have the great David DeCubney. I didn't. I said Duchovny. David Duchovny, Double D. That's why he has the great nickname, Double D, because his name's too fucking hard to say. Um, one of my favorite people, uh, known him a long, long time. He is for sure the most well-read, highly educated actor I've ever known. And people can talk about his amazing accomplishments, whether it's the legendary X-Files or the hilariously groundbreaking Californication or Aquarius or his best-selling books or his new band that tours and sells records. But to me, he'll always be the guy that did the soft porn of the Red Shoe Diaries. Ladies and gentlemen, David Duchovny. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm really good. You look great as, as always. You always look so... You're my hero. You're, what, one year ahead of me, maybe? You're uh, only one year older yeah, than I'll me. I'll be 60 in August. Holy fuck. Is that more than one year ahead of you? Yeah. 
I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, it's not not by much. It's 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 appreciable, but not much. I'm I'm 57, but like, there's something about 60. I don't even want to. I, I feel like I want to cut this part out of the show. Actually, kidding, because um, <laughs> it's like I don't like to like remind people that you and I are like. 60 year old men yeah, I know. but i'm also kind of proud i'm kind of proud of it because listen it is i don't know about you are, are you happy to be um holding the flag for the 60 year old demo because that's coveted <laughs> well they have money we know that um i don't know it, it's it's so odd to think of myself that way because you know i just always i always felt like that's fucking old right so yes i just don't feel i mean i certainly feel older than i have physically you know, but I don't feel I don't feel beat to shit or anything like that. And 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 mentally and and creatively, I just feel like, you know, now is when I'm at my most energetic. So it's it's just weird. I think people have, I think everybody has their own pace in life. You know, and I feel like uh, I feel like I hit my pace a little later, and I feel like I'm still hitting it. So I don't, you know, sixties a it's a big number, and it's it's embarrassing in a way. I don't know why we're meant to be embarrassed about our ages in this country, but I. Or in this business, but I think we are. Oh, I got a couple reasons why, if you really want to know. <laughs> I mean, first of all, all you got to do is turn on the radio. Yeah. Radio. That shows you I'm old. I said the word radio just now. Yeah. is That's how people um, communicate with, with radios. Yeah. Tur- turn on the radio, watch TV, and go to a movie and see if they're interested at all in what the fuck you think. No. Well, I know and that. you'll see very quickly that they aren't. I know that. But right. I think the trick is you have to remain interested in what you think, you know, and not adjust right. what you think or how you think. I mean, obviously, you want to remain open. You want to remain open yeah. to ideas. You want to remain open to what is happening. But, you know, if, if you start trying to think somebody else's thoughts, I think you're fucked immediately. Well, listen, you're a huge music fan and 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 an accomplished musician now and I want to talk about that cuz I remember when you were learning how to play the guitar yeah. on Californication. Yeah. So I I want to get into that but like how do you reconcile all the great songs and I and I know what you loved in music cuz again we're of the same age. Right. And then and how do you not turn into like Clint, the, the the angry man uh the angry old man yelling at the clouds meme <laughs> when you listen to a lot of what's going on in music now? Well, I think I think I just remember back to, you know, what my parents w- w- would say about, well, everybody loved the Beatles, but what they say about the Stones or, or Zeppelin, you know, and, you know, they didn't get it. And, and I don't get the music. I don't get the music that sells now. I know that I'm, I'm kind of aged out of it just because emotionally, you know, music is so important emotionally when you're a teenager. I mean, it's like the soundtrack of your life, and, and it remains that way. I'm sure you you hear Give Me a Song, and you have that feeling. What's the song? Oh, Afternoon Delight. <laughs> let's well, go. Well, let's not, let's not actually go too deeply yeah. into that, but... <clears throat> but but they're having they're having their memories. They're having their first experiences. They're having their you know the intensity of their young lives and the soundtrack is happening and and, and there is no there's no way to uh, really ever appreciate the depth of their of of our attachment to the music when we're young and it has nothing to do with whether it's good or bad it's just the fact that it was on the radio or whatever when we were kids anything could anything could be playing on the radio absolute dreck 
But if it's playing on the radio, that song is etched in stone in the Parthenon. I would, I would think so. I mean, but, but think, think about like the look again, because we're the same age, we can have this frank conversation. Uh, Queen sucked when I was a teenager. People made fun of Queen, you know, but now I can listen to a Queen song and I'm transported back and not because of the movie, but I'm transported back to that time and have a kind of a fondness for it. Same with Journey. Uh, yes, remember they were a, they were a joke, Absolutely. and now we just start to weep when we right. hear them. So that's that's like a transformation that happens musically over time. If if they if the music becomes kind of encoded in our our DNA in that way when, when we're young. So I, I can't speak to you know people's attachment to the music that they hear now because uh, you know I'm all for it. It's just uh, I've already my my space has been taken up. You know my my musical memory space has been taken up. It's not that I can't appreciate it. It's just never going to mean what Afternoon Delights means to you. Yeah. I mean, you know, the minute you hear the Starland vocal, (laughs) you just go. And then they they didn't ruin it by putting it in Anchorman for you? Was that sacrilegious? Did you you dislike that? No, I started started to cry. How dare you? How dare you? I got horny for Robin and the fourth grade around the old campsite or whatever the hell was going on mm-hmm. what was happening yeah that's your memory that's all yours rob thank you <laughs> um what uh is there a live album to be had from you soon i hear oh, no no not live a new album we were we were just about finishing up when uh when covid uh the quarantine uh hit so uh we're about you know 10 15 percent away from from uh getting that done and uh you know, whenever we're allowed back into the studio, four, four or five people in the same room, we'll be able to finish it up. How much are you writing of, of, uh, of songs? Generally, I will come up with like a chord progression and a melody and the lyrics. And then I'll give it to the band and, and they'll make it something else. Uh, recently, though. The last- By the way, just stop, stop, stop right there. Did you ever think in your career... That phrase you just said would come out of your mouth. Absolutely. Generally, I come up with a chord progression, <laughs> and then I just I just give it to the band, and they. Did you ever think you'd be saying that no, with a straight face? No, no, no. I mean, I, I was never a musician, and and certainly I've, I've never been a, a singer. I mean, singing is difficult for me. It's been something that I've had to really learn and and, and work on, so that I don't you know embarrass myself. So it's really the, the whole idea of me coming up with a melody is outrageous. Aside from the fact that I have people that will work on it with me but in the in the last album the band has has begun to to write you know bring more of their original stuff to me that maybe a tune that i'll put lyrics on so it's been more of a collaborative thing is my memory correct that on californication you were early on in this process or had you been kind of dabbling with it before we were working that, that was that was that was super early on because I had just decided that i was going to learn how to play guitar and and you'll appreciate this in true cheap, manipulative actor fashion, I went to mm. Tom Kapanos and I said, wouldn't it be great if Hank just started taking guitar lessons? Because then I knew that I could get free guitar lessons. So that's amazing. <laughs> um, that's so good. Yeah. So when you started, I'm because I've dabbled in guitar and I really do mean dabbled. I can play five, six chords, which is all you need to have fun, obviously. Yeah, but that's right. And I go through it and I stop and I get into it and I stop. How did you... What level were you at when you said, I really want to learn how to play this? 
Were you just you, were you were able to fuck around a little bit previously, right? Or no? No, no, no. I really started from scratch there, but but it was because I oh. never I never really thought that I would uh, you know make music in any in any real way. I mean, I really just wanted to know the six chords that you know and to be able to sit in my room and and strum along with songs that I liked, um, like you know the Starland Vocal Band. So. That's yes. all. That's all I ever. That that was my motivation. You know, you have so much time in your trailer as an actor. I thought, well, at least I'll be strumming a guitar or whatever. And um, at some point, after I I learned enough chords, I started to see, you know, repetitions and kind of simplicities in rock and roll music, which is what I really liked. And then I thought, well, fuck it. You know, I can. I'll I'll try and make some tunes. I'll. You know, I started hearing melodies, which I didn't think I would do because I couldn't necessarily sing them but I could hear them. And then, um, you know, I just started writing from there. You um, are famously, I'm going to talk about you like you're not there, like you're not there, like I don't know you. I'm not here. But, you know, actors are not educated. Well, let me jump in. Let me jump in. I think I would modify that and say that intelligence is not necessarily something that actors are asked to exercise that often. It's not something that yes. you're going to get applauded for as an actor. That's for sure. So, you know, I, I've always said to people, I mean, who, who who want to pigeonhole a creative person, you know, uh, why does an actor think that they can make music? Or why does an actor think they can write? Um, you know, it's so funny to me that, that people will, will try and pigeonhole somebody's creative expression. And, I, and I, I say this without ever comparing myself to the person, but, uh, I mean, obviously Shakespeare was an actor, right? I mean, there, yeah. there, there's no... That's, yes. That was his main job. And uh, so we don't have a better writer in our, in our language, and we never will. Um, and he was a fucking actor, so, so take that. No, it... You know, and, and you are, you know, I didn't, I knew you went to Princeton and I knew you went to Yale, but I, and you got your master's at Yale, correct? A little more. I, I was in the PhD program, so I, I uh, didn't get a PhD, but I, I went further than a master's. I have what's called a ABD, which is an all but dissertation. So I, I sat my orals, which was a, a freaky experience. Well, I know my version of oral has something to do with the Starland vocal band. <laughs> Um, what, what, so how, how close are you to finish, to finish, finish, finishing that amazing, oh, like, are you ever going to go back and be like a six year old sitting in the class to. Yeah. Uh, only, only, you know, so close, only like a 400 page book of, of literary criticism, which, which I, I, I would never be able to focus on and do at this point in my life. Uh, I, I had, a, I disagree. I, I disagree. I think you'd knock that off, dude. Well, I had a I had a topic which was actually kind of prophetic in a weird way. I never I never wrote anything. Maybe I wrote an introduction to my dissertation, but when you sit your orals, which are <clears throat> you have like twelve categories of, of English literature to be responsible, you have to be responsible for ten of them. So basically you are responsible for everything ever written, except for two areas where you've decided to punt and say fuck Chaucer or, you know, uh, Old English. I'm going to just say I don't know any Old English. And then you sit in a room with 
people whose specialities are thin, right, but deep. Mm-hmm. So they know everything about one category that they're going to ask you of 10. So, so basically, you spend a year studying for this two-hour exam, oral exam. Oh, my God. And all you do is just try to read everything or read about everything that you've never read before so that you can go in and maybe hope to not be exposed as the fraud that you really are. And they, it's just not, it's not a possible kind of an expectation to go in with. But you're told that, um, you know, if when you get asked the question, just keep talking, you know, just keep talking because you want, you're basically trying to run the clock out because everybody, there's 10, there's 10 subjects. So everybody gets, you know, four or five minutes. So if you can like just babble on and, and try and stay away from the next question, which might sink you. You know, answer the question you want to, that you wished was asked, and then keep answering it. Um, That seems like the most high-pressure situation. I mean, I've lived through my son taking the bar, and uh, and he passed, thank God, first Mm -hmm. time. But this sounds like, uh, the pressure of that, I can't even imagine it. I remember walking. It was in New Haven, and it was the wintertime. Um, I guess it was right, right around Christmas time. And I remember walking in the snow from my apartment to the, to the meeting room in the English department. And I felt like my head was a blimp. I felt like my head, I felt like in, in the Ghostbusters, I felt like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man walking through the snow because my, my head was just crammed full of everything that I could think of. And, uh, Part, part of the, uh, the, the last question in the orals is, what is your dissertation on? Because if you pass your orals, then you're allowed to go and write your dissertation. So I did have a subject, and I never, I never wrote the book. What was your subject? It was called Magic and Technology in Contemporary American Fiction and Prose and Poetry. Um, good God. Yeah, good God, right? Too bad. Too bad that was never written. But it was actually a pretty interesting uh, topic, which was... I'll try to be concise with for you. Um, the idea was like in in the past, uh, magic was like a primitive technology. You know, it was like uh, I could cast a spell on you and make you fly. Well, now we have airplanes, whatever. You know, it was like that's how amazing technological things of the present used to happen, and it was magic. And there used to be like. There was white magic and black magic, or good magic and black magic, and bad magic. And there were like moral fields to magic, like Dr. Faustus. There, there was a limit. There was, a, there was a, a, a rightness or a wrongness to when magic can be used and how should it be used and for what purposes. And technology is like a modern magic, and yet <clears throat> we didn't have a moral valence put upon it. You know, technology was like, hey, if we can go to the moon, we should go to the moon. Hey, if we make an atom bomb, we're going to drop it. Hey, you know, right. Technology is always used. So what's the, so these writers that I was addressing was to, were trying to kind of infuse the discussion of technology with a a sense of magic, a sense of, hey, don't go there or don't, or, or there's a moral question about whether we use this thing or not. It was an interesting idea, I thought. That's uh, way ahead of its time. Yeah, and then, you know, like the X-Files happens, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is you know, kind of like, I probably would have referenced this fucking show in my dissertation had I... Had I would have 100%. Watched. Yeah. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. 
Well, you know, no two travelers are exactly alike, and that means no two trips should be either. Texas, vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activity allow for such an infinite number of different travel experiences. I mean, I love Texas. I go like this. The people of Dallas, the culture of Austin, and I love any time I get there. If you're a beach person, well, you can go have fun in the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're a rugged vacation type, there's campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, golf is nuts there, foodies, you got your Texas barbecue and live music in Austin. And of course, if you're into the cowboy scene, you can certainly find it there. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom trip matched to their own unique interests. So visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. When you did X-Files, did it make you, because I think conspiracy theorists and all of that stuff, yes. which by the way, I, lo- I love me a good conspiracy theory. You do? Uh, I do. It's very so much da- so. It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous? It's so dangerous. Listen, I'm hearing this from... <laughs> If, if, if I should listen to anybody about conspiracy theories, it I, should be I you. I know. It's very sad that I find myself in this position. Can you tell me why you think it's dangerous? Because Long pause. <laughs> shakes his head. I think, I think mostly conspiracies, I mean, conspiracies are great drama, yeah. But mostly conspiracies in real life, um, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for simple answers to complicated questions. And, and a conspiracy... It conveniently finds a bad man or a couple bad men who have decided to perpetrate some evil upon the world. And I, I don't think that's how it happens usually. Yeah. I, I, I By the way, full, in full disclaimer, my interest in comp- conspiracy theories is because they're so fucking entertaining. That's true. And so entertaining. That's, that's and, absolutely true. And seductive. And, and seductive. Um, but when you did X, when you did X files. Yeah. Did you come into it with that worldview or was it shaped by going down that rabbit hole? I just had this vision of you at like Comic-Con. Yeah. And you're, you know, signing your sunglasses or what the hell you're doing. And, right. and every every conspiracy theorist in the world is asking you to go, you know, to, to Roswell to look for the right. alien bodies or whatever. Right. Yeah, well, uh, Did that, that happen? I'm, yeah, that happened. I imagine much. That, that happened. Um, you know, there was a, there was a, 
You know, have you heard about like the lizard people? Have you heard about that thing? I don't know if that's. Oh, oh have I heard about them? <laughs> I believe they're called reptilians. David. Right, right, right. So there were a couple of years there where people were asking me about lizard people, and I had no clue that it was a big thing. And I would just kind of scoff at them, like, you know, I'd be signing somebody's thing, and they'd say, oh, so and so's a reptilian or a lizard. I'd be like, yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> Why is he calling that guy a lizard or a reptile? I don't get it. And so this kind of thing would happen to me over and over where there'd be like a conspiracy du jour that I wasn't hip to. And people would think that I was because I played Mulder. And then I, you know, I just, it would just kind of go over my head. Yeah. I, that, that's a very funny notion. Like, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth, reptilian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All of the royal family. Why do you think they live so long? But it happened all the time. And I go, what the fuck is wrong with people? You know, lizard? Why lizard? I didn't know. I, it didn't make any sense to me. It happened to me once. Uh, I was doing some kind of Reddit thing as well. And this is a different, this is not like science fiction, but like I was doing a Reddit question and answer and somebody asked me, you know, what do you think of Pepe? Pepe the oh, Frog. Yeah. And, I, and this was like 2015. I was and like the, I see the little drawing of the frog, and I go, "He's cute, right?" Wrong answer. But yeah, I, wrong answer. But I didn't know, right? So it's like it's this kind of thing. Well, but you're making a really good argument right now, and I'm you're, I'm feeling very good about myself because the argument is you've got to kind of scour <laughs> the dark recesses of everything. So yeah. you have a, a little bit of knowledge about everything. Like you have deep knowledge. I have, my knowledge is a mile wide, mile, mile wide, miles wide, but it's like literally razor thin. So, but I, but you're not going to fuck me up with Pepe or the lizard people. You've got a good surface area or, or like the okay, you know, like you can't do the okay anymore. I can't do okay anymore. Right. Who knew? Oh, you knew, right? That's what you're saying. I did know. Right. I did know. <laughs> but I can't tell you what Chaucer was writing about. Right. I'm not sure I can either, but but uh, I could fake it. I think I had to read Chaucer at one point in my very brief educational career, and I just hated it. It's, I guess. Is I, it the Canterbury Tales? Yes, it is. You got that? What? Get them up. <laughs> that's that's your inch deep. <laughs> that's a, oh, there you go. It's like motherfucking jazz. <laughs> Californication. Eddie Nero, honestly, Eddie Nero was, honestly, I could have played and, and would have, I, I would have, I could play that character every second of every day because it gives you such latitude to go berserk. Well, I'll tell you what. And it's, what, what, you, what you brought to Eddie that is so quintessentially uh, part of, 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 of what you bring is there was a real, it's, I don't know how to say it without sounding corny, but there was just a real love of life in the guy. There was a real joie de vivre, whatever. You know, there was just like, he's saying these nonsensical things. He's a nonsensical person. But his love is real. Like his his passion is so crazily uh, not commensurate with what he's talking about. You just love him. You know what I mean? It's like he's an enthusiast is what I'm saying. And, and you're able to do that as, as an actor. You're really able to kind of display an enthusiasm, which is really, 
kind of beautiful and winning in many ways, comedically, mostly in your comedic work. I see you do it, but I really Thank appreciate it. Thank you. And that's, well, what, that's what I think you, makes that character you, work for me is his kind of, aside from the fact that he's completely unfiltered, what you're saying is so much fun, fun to, and, and, and for me playing a Hank, you know, the unfiltered quality was a lot of fun too, until I came across like somebody more unfiltered, you know, and then it was like, now I'm playing a straight guy, which is kind of fun too, to watch him doing that. Also, you guys gave me a chance my, to my first man on man kiss. And if you'd made a list of, of who I might kiss in my career, man on man, I'm not sure Evan Handler would even be on the list, but I'm glad he was because it was quite romantic. I know. I know. Evan is so, oh, so, so great on that show and uh, such a good actor and, and such, a, we, such an interesting cat. I love we him. were on West Wing together. So oh, I, right. Um, he right. Had, I think he did two seasons of West Wing and I loved him on that, but didn't have any fantasies of kissing him, frankly, when I was working on West Wing. But, you know, you never know where life's going to take you. And uh, well, he was a friend, and all of a sudden he was, uh, you know, out of the friend zone for you, and and you made a move on him. And it was shot. You guys shot it like the the kiss from um, <laughs> the great. The, it, it's I don't like think when I Mon- Montgomery Clift kisses Elizabeth Taylor in a place in the sun. Remind me what I, what what what? Why did you kiss him? I don't remember that. Was I not there? Uh, you were the sitting right there. I was sitting there. It didn't make an impression on you, but it was in that same set. I think it was the the time when I kissed him and then told him that I wa- that I thought we should go kill someone. <laughs> right. Oh, it's just so horrible, I, so funny. You just don't get a chance. To, I mean, when you get to play a character that you can get, you can justify anything. Right, is so freeing, and it makes it's just. It just makes being, you know, that I, I guess there are certain actors always get to wear prosthetics and long noses and crazy makeups, and that's why they love it so much because they're not they're not bound by playing anything actually real through and through. That's right. Which is its own level of something. We all know those actors, and they're out there, and they're great. Right. But they're basically the way I look at it. They have a fucking free shot on goal every day they show up on the set. <laughs> Because they're not bound by anything that we would recognize as actual humanity. That's right. That's absolutely right. It's like so it's, uh, just, it's like motherfucking jazz. They're playing. <laughs> yeah, you know you want to go. <laughs> How I, I my other my other big recollection of Californication was how disconcerting it was to come into a set at five in the morning and it be like full of fake martinis. And and girls with nothing on running around and like, listen, I'm all who doesn't who among us doesn't love that. But like at five o'clock on a Monday morning, I mean, I think I'd been coming off of a show where my Monday mornings were me and Callista Flockhart in a bed reading kindergarten rhymes to our kids. And then I moved over to Californication and it was like I remember talking to the prop person who wanted to know what kind of dildo I wanted in the scene. And I was like. This is definitely a different world. <laughs> it's not a world that I'm remembering. <laughs> Nobody ever asked me what kind of dildo I wanted in the scene. I think, <laughs> were you sure you were on our set? I remember where I was. I remember I, I remember we were doing a big, um, and that beautiful house in the, in the weird house in the Hollywood Hills was a big dinner party scene and all the cast was there. It might've been the season finale. Oh, yeah, it was. Yes. And a fight broke out. Right. 
And I had the idea, and, and Eddie in the script was supposed to be really, he, everybody else is appalled yes, and trying I, to break it up, he's, that, he's that Eddie's on. excited about it yes. and, and thinks it's interesting. My kind of crazy. And my and kind of crazy. And my idea was <laughs> he would get up from the table really excited about it and also have an erection. So you requested a dildo. Come on, Rob. Well, I had actually already gone to the bathroom and rolled up um, a towel. It was a DIY. put it in my pants. A DIY dildo. Yeah, I built it myself. Wow. And 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 I didn't talk, at this point at this point I understood the life of the show, so I did I knew that no everybody would love it, so I didn't even ask. I just did it. And then what was really cool is the prop person noticed it clearly and just after a take just came up apropos and I said, Oh, you know, we have dildos if you'd like one. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, hell yeah I would. Why does your prop and, person all of a sudden have an English accent? It's only because he's offering a dildo. You know that, right? Yeah, oh, darling, <laughs> darling, there are many dildos. Right. <laughs> you don't have to sully it with a rolled-up towel. But the best part was when they, when they brought it out, it was in a, you know, those, those, it was in a case, like a whole lot, like, like it was very ceremonially. <laughs> like a presented. sword. Like a sword. And that was, that was, that was the greatest Eddie Nero moment. That was a fun, that was a fun show. Yeah. Um, were you, were you done when it was over? Did you feel like you'd like done everything you could do as Hank Moody? Yeah, I mean, any television show that goes that long, I mean, I think you can be done at any time after three, four iterations. Um, uh, one of the great things about doing television is you get to do that many years and, and and you can really dig into a character that you can, you know, never do in in, in one movie. But, you know, after after that long, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was always fun to do because I, I thought... Tom's writing was always really fun to try to deliver. But, uh, you know, like artistically or creatively, at some point you're like, oh, well, you know, this is this is nice and the paycheck's good and all that. But I think I've, I've done that character, yeah. I do. People always talk about the the difference between movie acting and and TV acting, and you've you've done both. And you just alluded to what I think the difference is, is like in a movie, you're playing somebody, but on TV, you're living somebody. Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever's going on in your life, you're on that set so often, you're with, you're playing that character more than you're yourself, mm-hmm. really. So you're living it. You're legitimately just chronologically just, you know, time in the saddle living it, which is very, very different than sort of putting on the mask and taking it off for eight weeks or even on a long movie, which is, you know, maybe 16 weeks. It's a... Uh, I kind of, I kind of, I like them both. When's the last time you've been on stage as an actor? Oh, I've only been on stage once uh, here in New York about about nine years ago. I did a, a Neil Butte play. Which one? Uh, it's called uh, Break of Noon. It was a, it was an original play. It wasn't. It, You're kidding. Yeah, and um, I love Neil. I love Neil Labute. Was it was it awesome? It was so interesting, you know, as you know, to like try to do his dialogue. It's so yeah. kind of circular and there's so many interruptions from the other characters and so many restarts and over talking. And it's uh, it's really daunting at first to when you see it on the page like that. Um, but then when, if you can get into a good rhythm with it. Uh, it's an amazing kind of approximation of, of the way people really talk in life, you know. And that's the, um, it's like Aaron Sorkin, yeah. um, the, the joy in it is in the execution. It's like 
running a, be- a, a, a really complicated play in the triangle offense in <laughs> yeah. basketball. Right. Well, at right. some point, like, I, I think with I haven't I haven't uh, worked with Sorkin, but I think uh, I think I understand what you're saying, and I think with uh, Labute as well, and or or Mammon, I would think people that have a real distinctive kind of uh, verbal flow, it's you have to somehow like. Uh, you have to get there somehow, and it's not—it's not not like an actor get there. It's like a, almost like a musician get there. It's almost like one hundred percent. It's almost like you got to start hearing the music, and then you just have to—you just have to play that song, you know. And well, it's funny because, um, and I—I I t- I, I can and enjoy doing both of them, but the the PR we when we would do West Wing. The act we actors would come in amazing actors, right? But they were actors who had to get there as an actor, right? Right, and couldn't do it as a musician. And there was somehow the notion that if you couldn't find it and live it and right. feel it and get there, that it wasn't acting, right? And maybe they're right. It's playing the notes that you're given and crushing within the context of the timing and the notes, and you got to find the joy in that. And in the precision, I think they're both very rhythmical, and and I think what you're saying is right. It is a precision, and especially when you know when I think back on the West Wing stuff and and Sorkin's writing, it's like everybody has to hit their beat, you know, and it's like nobody can like take their beat and find it, you know. Like yes. if, you, if you don't, if you if you haven't found it, just just throw it out there. Just just say it. Keep it going. It's it's true. There's some there's so there's so much fun in that. I, I find I like it both ways. It's fun to do stuff where you. It's terrifying to too, accurate. though, when you're when you're when you're speaking so quickly and you realize, you know, you've got like a page of dialogue in your head that's about to come out, and you're not. You think you know it. You know, you knew it in your trailer, right? You knew it. You knew it yesterday, but it's just jumping off the cliff, and your mouth just continues to move. You know, and you bet, and you just gotta hope it's there. I I know exactly what you're saying, and the way I always think about it, and it happens every time, no matter how much I've prepared, no matter how well I know the dialogue, no matter how many takes I've done it, it feels like I'm leaning over the front of an express train and laying the rails down. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I would I would feel, you know, and 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 certainly like just we talk about these two characters, like like Mulder and, and Hank would get on these, like they'd get on these verbal kind of like express trains. And um, I just remember the fear and, and the exhilaration of having to go in and know that I was going to, I was going to execute this shit, you know, like, and, and, you know, maybe I'd fuck up a few times and maybe I'd have better days than, than, than this, but it, it, it is really exhilarating, and it's like being on stage in, in that sense. You know, the question you asked, it's like, it's just you and this, you know, page or two of very well-written or funny or technical uh, or full of, you know, Russian names. Who knows what you had to say on the West Wing, you know? Oh, Aaron used to fuck with me because um, I was, I, we were all really good at, at, at that stuff, but he loved to give me, to challenge me. So, in military insignias, <laughs> ranks, oh, right. names, right. and numbers. So I got a lot of 
Mr. President, you'll be meeting with Lieutenant Colonel 3rd Class J.G. John Stevenson of the 75th Air Brigade Battalion centered in Charlottesville, North Dakota. I got so many of those things. That's terrible. Brutal. Yeah. Sit back there and laugh at me. (laughs) And we'll be right back after this. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Hey, listeners, it's your host from Parks and Recollection, Jim O'Hare and Greg Levine, and we are super excited because we have a very special guest this week, a special episode with Mr. Adam Scott, a.k.a. Ben Wyatt. That's right. And he's going to share with us some behind-the-scenes memories, like his very first table read. I was very nervous, but as table reads were, it was an incredibly warm room and a really responsive, really fun atmosphere. So be sure to tune in for an exciting episode of Parks and Recollection, wherever you got your podcasts. But you're you're a minimalist, well, I think, and I take that as a I, I mean that as a compliment. I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess you know, I have um, I have my conception of truth. You know, I mean, I have my my barometer. You know, and and it's on the inside, and you know when I'm working. I'm, I'm trying to find that thing, you know, what's truthful to me. Um, and uh, I, I'm loath to push it, you know. There's a freedom sometimes in pushing it. And in comedy, certainly, certainly we can push harder. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of have a, a, a very natural distaste for the, the bullshit uh, or, or the lie, you know, in my work. So... Uh, it probably inhibits me a little, makes me more of a minimalist than I should be at times. But I think what you're saying may be uh, getting to that in, in me. I mean, certainly when I started out and when I was auditioning, I would always get, you know, when I didn't get anything, it would always be like, uh, well, first I would get like, he's a movie actor. He's not a TV actor. Because I was only auditioning mm-hmm. for, for television at the time, you know, starting out. That's a, by the way, that's a huge compliment coming from them. Well... Yeah, compliment. I you know I couldn't pay my rent, but it was a, it was a compliment. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but but you know when it wasn't a compliment, I would get like flat or uh, low energy and shit like that. And and uh, you know, I thought I was a funny person, a funny. I thought I could do funny stuff, but I looked around and I saw like the people who were working in in the, in the, in in the, in the funny were were had a different vibe than I did, a different kind of energetic. And I thought, well, how am I ever gonna? How am I ever gonna do that? I mean, because I couldn't, I couldn't like get to that, like that, like like uh, honestly, I couldn't like get to that. Um, 
so, you know, there were struggles for me at first was like even just getting out of maybe you call it minimalist or getting out of like a, just like a, I don't, I don't know, a certain tone that I was like committed to as being truthful and then being able to see like, oh, there are other truthful tones. There are other, there, their truth exists in, in different levels of energy that we can get to, you know, and it's just a matter of working hard enough to find those. But it, you're, but it is there that energy. Some people vibrate at a different frequency, so their energy is gonna. It's just gonna be different than yours. Like my 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 friend Bill Paxton, who I think you knew a little bit, yeah. you know, uh, who I loved, who passed away a few years ago. You know, he could play Chet in Weird Science, right? Where he was like, "Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me!" And then he could do, um, you know, one false move, right. um, or or do. Uh, you know, these really like Gary Cooper-ish yeah. thing. And I, I just, I always respond to acting that isn't showy. I'm not, I'm not a big like proponent of showy acting. And, and that's why I've always been an, an admirer of, of, of your work. Are you, um, when you first, when you first started, I think Bad Influence, one of the movies <laughs> I did, you were on. Is that right? I'm not, I'm remembering this correctly, right? That's where I met you. Uh, I remember uh, this. That's the movie you you met your wife on. Is that not right? That's right. That's what I met Cheryl on. Cheryl's the my makeup artist. Yeah, and you were, you know, you were a big star, and I was. I had. I, had, I used to tell this joke on. Uh, I told it on the Tonight Show once, um, where where I said where I said you know, um, my my craft is so important to me that I na- I've named my children after roles that have been important to me you know, throughout my life. For instance. Um, you know, because of bad influence, uh, people don't remember me from that film, but it was important to me. And I, I named my first son uh, club goer number three. <laughs> so I was club goer number three and I was getting my hair done. I think I had one line or two at a club. I had like a password to get into some sex club that you guys. And I think I had to say like some weird password sounding phrase I was getting my hair done and um, you were just really, you know, you were there and you were just really nice to me and just very pleasant. You know, I had a conversation, you know, asking me questions about myself and uh, that's all I remembered, you know, and that, and then I think I told you that when we, when we worked again together, because I, I worked with, uh, you know, I had tiny, tiny roles with, with big stars like you and uh, you know, not, not many of them as, as friendly and as uh, respectful, really, as you were. And I always, oh, remember that. I always remember that. Joan Cusack was another one. Very, very wonderful and, and respectful, uh, interested person. I was an extra on uh, Working Girl, basically. And she, wow. Yeah. yeah. So you can say you worked with Mike Nichols. Nobody's, <laughs> you know, it's, it ain't bragging if you've done it. <laughs> yes. I've worked near Mike Nichols anyway. Yeah. You worked in the same room. I did. If I were you, I'd just be like, you know, when I worked with Mike Nichols, um, he told Mike me. Mike Nichols, yeah. Well, what Mike said. Uh, Mike I would Mike. drop that name all the time if I could get away with I it. I started in comedy uh, with Mike Mike Nichols on uh, Working Girl. You know. Well, it's the truth. It's the truth. You're not making that up. I'm not. So, so I told that I told that um, Curtis Hansen. I, I I ran into well. I had a, a meeting with Curtis probably 
seven or eight years ago. I can't remember what the f- Curtis Hansen, who directed Bad Influence, yeah. and and I can't remember what it was. Many for. other wonderful guy. Yep. And I told him that story about you know that I said Club Goer number three, and he looked at me and he said, "You know, I, I if there was a bigger role, I really would have I would have loved you to do a bigger role." I was like, "No, no, 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 it wasn't." I'm not like he really was. He wanted he wanted me to. It was really sweet. He wanted me to know that he thought I was good or something, you know, that, and I was sitting in this meeting with him, but, um, I, it's, I love that movie. I love bad influence. I think it's every, we all do things in our, in our careers where you just wish it had, had, had had a better response and the critics really liked it, but it was really ahead of its time. It's, it's I love that movie. I always tell people if they haven't seen it to watch it. Um, and now, that people realize you've got that amazing line in it. Well, I, I am think. club goer number three. Um, I mean, that's that's going to bring it a whole new life, I think, from yeah. this podcast. Spader. Spader's in it. Um, Spader is great in it. He's great in everything. He is. And Spader is uh, indirectly responsible for me um, being on the juggernaut uh, Twin Peaks. Did you know that? No. So... In the year 1989, probably. I don't know if I'd done Bad Influence even yet. When was the Bad Influence? When did you shoot that? 90. We did it in 89. We shot it in 89. It was right around that time. But apparently uh, Spader was really good friends with Mark Frost, who was uh, David Lynch's partner on uh, on Twin Peaks. And I think he was show running. And Spader had come up with this idea for a character who was a drug enforcement agent who because he was trying to take down this uh, seller who would only only sell to transvestites, like Howard did. <laughs> so he would only sell to transvestites. So as a drug enforcement agent, Spader's character dressed up as a woman, busted the guy, and then found that he liked wearing the clothes, and he now has become a full-time transvestite. Amazing. And for some reason, you know, Spader couldn't do it. Maybe, you know, he had some other job, so they opened up the casting to greater LA and I went in and I got that role. I had no idea. That's, I mean, the way, the way we end up with roles, I mean, circling back to Californication, I only got that role because we shared the same hairdresser. <laughs> That's right. That sounds true very, that? that sounds very LA. It's true. It is true. Well, you know, you and I both have some of the best wigs. That, um, <laughs> That's right. A lot, not a lot of people know that we're both bald. And this hairdresser. As an egg. As an egg. Daniel Erdman. I remember him calling. He yeah. said, he said, Rob, Rob, Rob will do this. Rob should do this. And I said, he said, I'm going to call him. And we're like doing a scene somewhere. And he just hands me the phone to talk to you. And then you. And by the way, well, and I promise you, and I do, I really mean this. Had it not gone down like that, had they done the traditional route where the producers call the agents and the agents call me and the, it wouldn't have happened because I was on another show at the same time. Yeah. And right. it would have just been too, I'll bet you I would, they, this is why they don't tell you because it's just too much work for the agent. It's just too much work. <laughs> they don't want to, they don't want to negotiate you getting the time off from the other show. Right. Maybe there's not enough money in it, all that bullshit right. that goes on in our business. So I, I really don't believe I'd have been on the show. I really don't. I think, I think I never would have known you guys reached out. You'd take your long drives down from Santa Barbara and, and memorize your lines in the back seat or nap. Still do. <laughs> still still do. I mean, I'm an Olympic sleeper. You know that, right? I don't know about that, but, but I will say this, and, and, and this will sound like faint praise, but it's not. It's like you come, 
with your bags packed. You come ready, ready to work. You know, there's no, there's no, you know, you know your, you know your lines. You know what you're doing, and you come and and everybody else said better be ready. You know, not like you're an asshole about it, but that's I like to work that way too. Uh, somebody described Gene Hackman that way to some to me at one point that he comes to work with his bags packed, you know, ready to go. I love that. I love that phrase. Dude, that's so good. Yeah. Hi, I'm Rob Lowe, and I come to work with my fucking bags packed. Hi, I'm Rob Lowe. You see those things behind me? Those are bags. And guess what? They're packed. And guess what they're packed with? <laughs> Acting ability. Who <laughs> <laughs> would make me beloved to my co-stars, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's their i it's it is funny as you get it, look you've been doing this a long time yeah you've been you've been through everything you can go through fan you name it you've you're like and i love working with people like you because of that like i like to look across the set and look at someone and i know they've been in the trenches mm-hmm. and they've earned their bona fides i love it and it's it's harder and harder to do the older you get you know because there just aren't people that are that have done what you've done and um, I had this moment, and, and this it's going to sound like bragging, and it is bragging in a weird way, but you'll you'll hear. But I was doing this uh, remake of the craft. We just did it uh, last last uh, uh, late late fall winter in Toronto, <clears throat> and I was working with um, you know four four young actors that I didn't you know all these young actors I, I didn't really know any of them you know. And uh, <clears throat> I was doing wire work because it's, you know, it's that, that kind of a movie. And I fucked up my back really badly. And, oh, no. Yeah. I, not, nothing permanent, but I was, I was incapacitated and I was in a lot of pain. And uh, it was like it was all I could do to, to remain upright for the 30 seconds of, of an over, you know. So I was working with this really great young actress named Kaylee Spady. And uh, all we needed, like, on this day was, like, we needed her, uh, an over my shoulder to her and her close-up. So I was, like, I was going to hang in there and do it. And I swear to God, Rob, you know, when they said action, after about 10 seconds, I was just thinking, do not, do not go to your knees. Do not go to your knees. But I got to get down. I got to get down. Cut. I go down. And I'm actually on all fours by uh, Kaylee's feet. And I, I'm not I'm not bullshitting either. I mean, I was like crippled, and uh, she uh, she like tapped me on the head and said, "When I grow up, I want to be you." And I said, mm. "Really? That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me on an acting set because I know exactly what you mean, and uh, you know, work hard, you know, and be respectful of people's time, and you know." Do what you need to do to get the, get get the day's work done. It's it's a great story, and it's it's one of the things I I, I look I shit on the business a lot, and I shit on actors a lot on the podcast because right. there's there. Well, I mean, what we do is so silly and inconsequential on in many levels. But on the other side of it, the the sort of chivalrous, uh-huh. respectful yes. sense of tradition. Of 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 honoring your peers mm-hmm. and a certain way to behave on a set. I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. it. It keeps me going. 
It's one of the things I love about, about, you know, people go, why do you work so much? And why do you still fucking grind away? And it, because I, I love keeping that tradition alive. And as we get older, we are, we are doing that for, for the kid, for, for the kids. <laughs> but um, it's true. You know, it's like on my show on, on 911 Lone Star, you know, I'm mm-hmm. a fucking old man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, I'm working with kids who were not, were not alive when Bad Influence was. Right. And, you know, you, you want to, you want to lead, lead by example. How, how did, tell me about this wire thing. Cause this is like that whole thing about Tom Cruise does all his own stunts. I'm like, I'm happy to not do that. I don't want to, like, if you fucked your back up on a wire, what would you do if you were hanging off of a jet plane? I don't know. Um, I just, I just, it was like a decision I made that, that I, I thought it would look better. Um, you know, if, if it was uh, me instead of, uh, it was all my decision, really. By the way, if a wire work means you're being hung literally on wires and then they remove the wires visually. It makes it look like you're flying, basically, right? Well, you know, <clears throat> they have to remove more than the wires because I, I had my shirt off. And what I didn't know before I, I filmed it was, um, you know, you'll look pregnant if you're if you're uh, if you've got a wire on because it's all on your midsection and your entire oh. your entire weight is is just on a belt basically. So they, they they have to erase the wires and your baby bump as well. Um, Ooh, I was talking to one of the stunt people and I said uh, that looks terrible because I was looking at the playback and and he was like, well, there's a reason Jackie Chan wears flowing shirts. I was like, ah, ah. Oh. <laughs> See, I love that kind of inside knowledge. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I wouldn't have known. I know it now. So, so anyway, so uh, what happened was, I guess at some point, I just, you know, like went backwards as I was supposed to, and you know, being my age and having had injuries in my past and some back problems, I think I just kind of irritated something, and it, it got pretty bad, but. We were able to get everything we needed to get. Oh, <laughs> yuck. Yeah. Back injuries. Yeah. You know what I also loved? And I love, I've since worked with him a bunch is Rob Bowman mm. on, um, I worked with him a bunch and he directed the X-Files movie as well as a lot of X-Files. Yes. I love the X-Files movie. I thought it was fucking awesome. Yeah. I, I don't understand why you can't give me another X-Files movie. That's uh, really a Fox question. You know, they're, they're, they're weird because it's like there's a homegrown property. It's a big, a big ticket property. And you think, why wouldn't you try to do another one? But, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to get into this. Maybe, when this maybe call Rob ends. Lowe in there. I mean, if, if I had Rob Lowe, you know, speaking for me, I think I'd be on set right now. Well, hanging from I'm, a wire I'm, or an airplane. For better or for worse, I'm Mr. Fox right now. So I'm going to call the, all those guys up and be like, listen. It's yeah. Duchovny, Jillian, and me. <laughs> and we're, we're, we start out as beach cops. Oh, we've we we've left the X-Files world and we're beach Back cops and we're beginning. drinking out of big Slurpee cups. Yeah. yeah. So we have our cake and eat it too. We finally get the beach cup thing out of our system. It's all timing, as you know, Rob. It's all timing. That's the scary thing when I, when I look back and maybe when you look back too is... is you know, none of it had to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it helps to be talented, sure, but it's all timing and luck, really. And being in, the, being in that place at that time. And, uh, geez, it's scary to think back on 
you know, if you didn't open this door or you, you took that <laughs> left instead of that right, it's like none of it, none of it had to happen. My whole career was because I, I used to go to Ohio to see my dad. My parents divorced. We'd go in the summers. I was 14 going on 15. I'd fallen in love for the first time, my very first love, the week before I had to go to Ohio for the whole summer, which felt like an eternity. Yeah. And I got to Ohio and my new agent, it didn't know anything about anything. My little tiny agency said, hey, there's a big cattle call uh, TV show. If you want to pay for your own way, we got you an audition. And the only reason I came back is I wanted to see the girlfriend. And it was a literal cattle call audition. I got the TV show. What was it? It was called A New Kind of Family. It was a, a it was a sitcom on ABC. And unfortunately, it was directly opposite 60 Minutes. So we were <laughs> literally the last. We were There were 63 shows on the air, and we were 63rd. Now, how, every single how time. long had you wanted to act at that point? You're 14. How long did you think, oh, I'd like to act? Or had you done any acting in, in school? No, I'd done a ton. I did. I, I wanted to act since I was eight when oh. I saw Oliver in, in a local production and saw all the kids on stage. And wow. it was like I was like struck by lightning and knew I wanted to do it, was obsessed with it, driven with it. So, hmm. I mean, I came back. I always wanted to be an actor, so I didn't. it wasn't like I just came back on a whim, but I think about if I had not met that girl, yeah. maybe I go, you know what? It's, a, you know, I'm here in Ohio. I just got here. I don't really have the money and I don't get it. Right. When I did the X-Files pilot, I had gotten this, uh, it was like, I wouldn't call it, a, maybe it was a movie of the week when they used to do those things. It was something like that. It was like a, a couple scenes in this uh, movie of the week. And, and it was a director who, who I was friendly with and I was going to have to, you know, I would I would have to to pull out of that part to do the X Files uh, pilot, and I said to my agents, I, I don't want to do that. You know, she's a friend, and I don't want to I don't want to pull out because I I thought, well, first of all, I thought you know, X, uh, this is about extraterrestrials. There's no way that you know what's how long can it go? I mean, it's a fun pilot. It's a good pilot, but you're either going to see the aliens, or you're you know, then there's there's no tension or you're going to wait too long to see them. It's like, it's not going to. <laughs> and I wasn't interested in conspiracy theories as we, as we established. And um, I was perfectly willing to just say, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to have to pass on that pilot because I, I said I'd do this, this other project. And my agents uh, uh, convinced me that that was the wrong thing to do. But I, that, that's what, you know, me being a brilliant tactician that that was yes that was going to be my move you talk about actors being dumb well that was that was me yeah we do need every once in a while someone to say you know do this or it or don't do that yeah i'm i'm a, i'm like you i'm a fan of uh work I, I i i think there's always something positive about work even when it's even when it's crap as, as you're talking about, part of it is is be, having the integrity to show up and and do your work and and exercise what it is you've spent so long learning how to do. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not good. I would never be a good agent. I don't know how to. I don't know how to, you know, kind of curate an image or uh, build a career. Uh, I, I don't know how to do that. I wish I had somebody doing that for me. I, I, I mean, I wish, honestly, I never, 
I made it up as I went along, honestly. I really, truly did. I mean, you know. Well, again, Rob, I mean, I think you have to be commended uh, for, for you know, invent, reinventing yourself, you know, a few times now. And uh, yeah. that shows great actually imagination uh, and, uh, and great uh, resiliency as a person. I think, I, I think you're very impressive uh, in that. And you found, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, you found a real comedic vein, which I don't think you ever had before. I mean, you, might, you probably mm -hmm. had it in your life as a person, but uh, not so much as an actor. And that's an amazing discovery to happen at your advanced stage of decrepitude. Listen, you know, guys pushing 60, we're not meant to change. <laughs> we're not meant to we're not meant to reveal other areas of our lot. We're but, but at, you know at 60, what I mean? So big, yeah, we get it. Do you ever right? you, you know, I think sometimes you can I, I don't say you have to be arrogant or, or necessarily pride going before fall and all that, but you could you can sit down tonight and look at the sunset and go, motherfucker, I stayed awake. I stayed awake. I kept challenging myself. I kept asking if there was more for me to do, and you did it. A big change, big, big shift, middle of your career. So it's. Well, a professional would end the show now. <laughs> I didn't say you were good at this. Well, that's, I think, <laughs> if you've listened, pretty obvious. Doesn't need to be said. Double D. Yeah. I love you. Thanks for coming on the show. And um, we have a surf dinner date coming up soon. I hope to see you in person soon, Rob. And I'm happy you're, right. you're well and healthy and, and love to the family. Vice versa. Love you, man. Thanks, Rob. Bye. I love that man. He is, I mean, as you just realized, so smart, so well read, just a decent dude and a fantastic actor. And um, if you're at all interested in acting or having a career or styles of acting um hopefully you got something out of that because i did i very much did um hearing david talk about his process um it was really really cool i had a good time all right everybody it is time for the lowdown line hello you've reached literally in our lowdown line where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323-570-4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hey, Rob. This is Derek from Chico, California. And I uh, love the pod. One thing I don't think you've talked about much is uh, where you've traveled in your life. Uh, what is the most unexpectedly wonderful place you've ever traveled? To in the world, and uh, where would you like to go that you haven't been? Thanks for your answer. Thank you, Derek, for for calling uh, the lowdown line. Um, I don't know how unexpected it is, but without a doubt, the place that when I landed there and looked at it, I was just moved almost to tears by was the island of Bora Bora. It is absolutely magical beyond belief. The other place. Um, was surprising because you hear about Yosemite. I live in California. I've lived, you're in Chico. You're in California as well. Um, and I finally got to Yosemite and I came around the corner and looked out at that Yosemite Valley and my eyes just spilled over with tears. It, it is 
the Yosemite Valley, if you'd traveled across the world to get there, you wouldn't have been disappointed. And yet it's right in my state and I'd never gotten there. Um, Just beyond spectacular. Uh, Where would I like to go? Well, um, you know where I want to go? I want to go to Japan um, to ski. That's what I want to do there. There's and I I should know the name of it, but I don't. But there's a, a resort on, I think it's the island of Hokkaido. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. That has the most powder of anywhere in the world. And skiing connoisseurs know that that is the place you go for powder. So the notion of having like amazing, authentic Japanese food and powdered ski every day is uh, next, literally next on my bucket list. And I'll see you next time. You have been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe. Produced and engineered by me, Devin Tory Bryant. Executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile. Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Stitcher. The supervising producer is Aaron Blair. Talent producer, Jennifer Samples. Please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Hey, Keurig coffee drinkers. Need a cold coffee with a bold flavor? Dunkin' Cold K-Cup pods were specially crafted for cold coffee. Brew over ice straight out of the Keurig coffee maker for smooth, delicious Dunkin' taste you know and love. Find your next Dunkin' Cold coffee in the roasted coffee aisle.